0: Now we're coming up on episode 300 of the LJS podcast. Today is episode 298, and next Monday, the Monday since publishing this podcast episode, will be episode 300. And so, as I'm coming up to this kind of monumental milestone of the podcast, I'm looking back into the history and thinking about the episodes that had a big impact on me personally. And one such episode is episode 12. Yes, that's just the 12th episode that I recorded back in 2016 with my personal musical hero, Mr. Peter Bernstein, jazz guitarist, extraordinaire, one of the best in my opinion. So today's episode, we're going to go back into the vault. We're going to listen to my interview with Peter Bernstein, and it is going to be awesome. I hope you enjoy. Let's do this thing. Welcome to the LJS podcast where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host. He's a jazz musician, author and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, where we help musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve. No matter what instrument you play, welcome to episode 298 of the podcast, uh, where, like I said in the intro, I'm very excited to go back in the vault to a very early episode where I interviewed one of my personal musical heroes, Guitarist Peter Bernstein. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Peter Bernstein, he's played with just about everybody. He's one of the greatest, uh, I would say, modern jazz guitar players, you know, playing with the likes of Bill Stewart, Larry Goldings, Dr. Lonnie Smith. I mean, really, the list is too. Too large, I mean, Sonny Rollins, I and mean, he's played with everybody, and he spends his days touring the world, you know, playing some of the best jazz venues. And of course, he lives in New York City, does some teaching in New York City while he's, uh, you know, not touring. And uh, this was a special time for me. I've had some chances in the past to take some lessons with Peter, as well as seeing countless shows when he's in town. Uh, playing. And this was back in 2016 when I did this episode. And to give you a little bit of context, you know, I was kind of new into podcasting, didn't really know a lot about how to create a great show, how to do good interviews. And, you know, it did have some equipment, but I didn't know how to use it very well. So very early on in the podcast, but I was excited to get this interview with Peter. He was totally cool with it um, and just one of the nicest guys, by the way. So he recommended that we meet at the New School for Jazz and Contemporary Music in Manhattan to do this interview. I mean, back then, like Skype interviews and Zoom interviews, not near as popular as they obviously are today, especially, of course, within the last year. So I was excited. I packed up all of my equipment because I wanted it to be a very good quality episode, I get to the new school. I meet Peter on the street. We go up into a practice room and uh, we sit down. I'm setting up all my equipment. It's taking a long time, and of course, Peter's just uh, you know totally chill. He's jamming on his guitar while I'm setting everything up, and uh, you know just a super nice guy, very giving of his time. Finally, get everything all set up, and for whatever reason, my editing software just would not. Record and I was just so flustered and upset, and I was like, "Peter, I'm so sorry, this is taking a long time." And he was so patient, and uh, I just couldn't get it to work, and I couldn't figure out why. But of course, I you know I didn't want to take up more of his time, so finally I just suggested, "Hey, Peter, are you okay if we just record this episode on my iPhone?" And uh, he's like, "Yeah, totally, man. It's totally fine." And so that's what we did. We have this incredibly raw audio of just me and him having a chat. In Manhattan, in a practice room, in a, in a jazz, uh, and music school just uh, chatting about music, chatting about his his career, chatting about what he was working on as a jazz musician and a bunch of other really interesting insights. And at, at the moment, I remember being very frustrated about what happened, the quality of the show. But looking back and feeling sentimental about it, I think it's really cool the way the interview turned out and just how raw it really was. And I know that not everybody goes back and listens to episode 12 of the podcast. So excited to present this one today. We'll get right into that interview in a second. Of course, today's episode sponsored by our ljs inner circle membership this is where we work on monthly jazz standard studies we learn new tunes every single month we learn etudes we learn all sorts of improv exercises we do um a awesome community together it's like learning how to play with other musicians we have basic one-on-one courses to fill in the blanks in your musical knowledge. We have practice program courses. We do monthly live Q and A's. It's really the place to be if you're into learning jazz, no matter what instrument you play, having a really fun time and learning faster while practicing less. So check it out at ljsinnercircle.com, ljsinnercircle.com. Know you're going to love it. All right, let's jump into the flashback of this episode with Peter Bernstein. so today i'm joined by guitarist peter bernstein one of my personal musical heroes so i'm very honored to have him today. Thanks for joining us on the show, Peter. Thank you for having me, Brent. Appreciate it. So, we're in the uh the New School for Jazz and Contemporary Music right now. Uh now this place is uh it, it actually means something to you because you you went to school at this institution was it the late 80s or
1: it was it was uh 88, 89 and yeah, part of of 90 I was there. So, uh yeah, kind of the the early days of the school, it started in 86, and uh, I was going to school at William Patterson at that time. But okay. I remember coming to hang around the school this very first year, which was just Arnie Lawrence and uh, David uh, Levy, who was a dean here at Parsons, and he kind of started the school with Arnie. And I think there were like 15 students. Larry Goldings was one I knew him from before. So uh, I used to come and hang around on, on Fridays when I didn't have uh, – Classes out there in my at William Patterson. so I was around for the very early days okay of the, of the new school, but I was a student here officially a couple of years later eighty eight eighty nine
0: okay, okay. so you I mean, you met a lot of I mean a lot of the guys that I would consider to be you know household jazz names today, like you said, Larry
1: Goldings you met, yeah. uh, let's see um you uh, did met Brad meldow when he here? came in a couple of years later, I think he came in eighty nine. His last year was my last year was his first year. Yeah, we crossed paths, Uh but yeah, he came through. And uh, Jesse Davis was here, and Bill Stewart. Bill Stewart never went here. No, I knew him from William Patterson. William Patterson went went there for a year. That's a school out there in New Jersey. Okay, but uh, yeah, the new school is an exciting place because of the students, but more so because of who Arnie got to come around and, and teach. You know, it was just like Arnie was not an educator; he was one of the players, and this school being in new york the whole idea was of of arnie's was to have new york be the 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 school you know so arnie brought in all kinds of people and you know tommy flanagan was around jackie byard was here early on chico hamilton those guys were were from the very beginning but he brought in jim hall and Uh those were people that were around consistently teaching classes donald Byrd, yeah um Kenny Werner, and uh, but and then there was, uh, he would just bring people for master classes, and I saw Art Blakey here, Roy Haynes, wow. he brought Eddie Jones, and so many, I mean, everybody came through, Billy Higgins. I mean, Arnie just would, he was, you know, he was on the scene, so he would just run into people and say, will you come to my school and meet my students on Friday? And that was the day, you know. And I remember the early days of the school was just like, it was very loose. It just seemed like, okay, school today is Walter Davis Jr., telling stories about Bud Powell and Mark. and that was that was <laughs> education. That was the day, you know, but I mean it wasn't like, you know, but you know, like I say, Arnie wasn't an educator. He was, he wanted to teach people about, you know, the spirit of the music. I mean, besides, of course, the vocabulary and the language and the feeling of it, but, you know, and, and the notes, But but Arnie was really about the spirit of music and people playing together and that whole sense of community and that's why i think he wanted to make a school so he could you know have a school that was imbued with that uh you know priority mm-hmm. not like here's a bunch of scales and stuff you have to learn but really about introducing people to all the personalities of the music and, right. and realizing that that's what the music is it's all you know people playing with strong, yeah people with strong personalities Working together with other people with strong personalities and, it
0: and tends to be that way with musicians, right? Yeah, strong
1: personalities. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, but it's it's the way. Yeah, it's just the way that this chemistry, like anything else, it's a social experience, you know. So right, Arnie is very tuned into that.
0: So, so how did how did you, you know, the, let's go back a few steps further. How did you actually end up deciding you're going to be a, a professional jazz
1: musician? Well, I, I mean, I was. Focused on it uh, from about, I mean, I I loved music from an early age and got into the guitar about 12, 13, played blues and rock and all that stuff like we all did. And then got into jazz about 15, 16, got to, uh, you know, have some great teachers like Attila Zoller and Gene Bertensini. I met him at this uh, summer jazz workshop in Rochester. I mean, my my parents were very supportive in that I showed uh, real – you know, dedication to it. I spent a lot of time doing it and it wasn't, you know, so they, they got behind me in terms of, you know, you know, taking me to hear music and, you know, helping me. They saw arrange, you practicing a lot. Yeah. And helping to arrange lessons with people. And, and, you know, they, they helped me out. But when it came time to go to college, you know, uh, of course my dad re- was realistic and said, you know, maybe you should go to college for something real. Uh-huh. Like a real, you know. <laughs> like a real job. Well, like, you know, just that whole, that whole. and, uh, you know, I, I was resistant to that because at that point, you know, at 16, I was really, 17, I was really, I really wanted to try. I'd been to that, to that had some experiences playing with people, you know, and I knew that I had a lot to learn, but I really wanted wanted to be a part of it. And so I just dedicated myself to really trying to learn the language, learn my instrument as best I could, and and was so lucky to have great experiences with Musicians my own age, but also being exposed to uh, some of the elders, which just, you know, mm-hmm. that was something that they had. They had a thing in there. They're playing like a, just a seasoning. Like it was just like, you know, you can feel like the instrument just is an extension of themselves. They just it's just something they talk right. with, you know. Right. So that's what I was attracted to and just wanted to. How do I get to the instrument, you know, to the point where it's just it disappears completely, you know, where you can just kind of express yourself with it. And that's, that's That's the goal in in, in different ways. I mean, seeing Jackie Byard play and teach and just talk about music, trying to, you know, see what was inside his mind and Jim Hall and Jimmy Cobb getting to meet all these incredible musicians who had different ways of communicating and talking about what they did. But like I say, it was the strength of their personality, you know, and in Jim Hall's case, like the strength of his ability to make everybody sound good. Like he had this class and he would for all of us and, it sounded good cause he was playing right. and then we would play with each other and that's how we really sounded. So, you know, he had some kind of lift, some kind of magic buoyancy that, uh, I was just fascinated with that, but it wasn't like a school thing where you can put a question to someone like, how do you make everybody else sound so good? You know, it's a it's lifetime you of here well, happening. It's, it's yeah. You, you, you see someone able to elevate the music and, and, uh, you know, transport you with, with sound. But that's what it is, you know, basically on on the on the simplest level. But but that was something about of course, you know, it was about the way he was able to accompany uh, people and make them sound better. It's just part of his knowledge of music and of that, of course, specific things, but it comes from a place of generosity, like really just wanting to make people sound good, mm-hmm. you know, and being supportive. So I just, I'm just saying that to illustrate that strength, a strong personality doesn't always mean, you know, someone who's got to be the center of attention. A strong right. personality is strong in support, strong in that. Right. You know, they, me, you know.
0: Me being a guitar player, of course, I've, I've watched lots of interviews with Jim Hall and yeah. all, these, all these sort of things. And he, and he, he's, he appears to be like a very, more, very humble, yeah. you know, more of a quieter soul. Is that very would you quiet, agree with
1: that? Very quiet. Very uh, Very gentle. You know, a gentle person. But all those things, you know, you can hear that in his playing, you know. Yeah. Passion and and intelligence, humor, and, you know, lyricism. You know, he was was definitely a poet. But he, he, you know, he had some, it was just amazing to watch him play and make him make that sound, like, right in front of you. You know, like, playing a tune and just, you know, the feeling. You know, the feeling... Uh, that came from the sound that he made. That was that was just, and, and, you know, like I say, that was a very impressionable time. So we're getting, we're watching all these masters play and seeing that, you know, they're all different. They're all kind of playing to their strengths and their, mm-hmm. you know, individual qualities. But there's also something, an awareness that makes them able to come together and play together. Like that was, was some more than others, mm-hmm. but, but, but that's the beauty of it. You know, it's like, how people's personality manifest in their, in their playing. But so much of the so-called jazz experience is about social connection. Uh, exactly. You know, when you see a jazz group playing, that's an example of human beings working together, you know, Interesting. not facelessly, not just like, you know, disappearing into a formula because every person in the band has to assert themselves. That's what your so-called solo is, but people assert themselves even in an accompanying role and, how a drummer will change the sound of a band or a bass player. I mean, all these things. Once we're kind of keyed into listening for these details, we see a whole world of social interaction going on when you see people play. For better or for worse. Why does it work? Why does it not work? Right. You know? And and it's like that's <laughs> as in life sometimes it doesn't work. Just like people working together yeah. trying to do anything. Yeah. You know, it's it's but when it happens, it's really it's it's a social miracle as well as a you know a sonic Miracles. Right. I mean of course it sounds good, but what goes into the making of those sounds? What goes into people being relaxed enough to express themselves in the context of a of a group, of a greater, you know, a community?
0: so, so jazz, jazz is a social music I mean and, and on this blog on this podcast we've yeah. talked about that a, a lot and, and you're backing that up you know when you're, t- when you're talking about that of course I'm thinking about all the amazing shows you know including you being involved where I've been like wow why was that show so good mm-hmm. and it was because yeah. everybody was sharing everybody was building each other up I guess mm-hmm. you could say it was kind of like that, that perfect community you know where people aren't necessarily fighting each other but right. everybody's right. trying to work together and I'm, I'm thinking about this uh, uh, recording uh, when when i was uh, even younger <laughs> and um that really s- stuck out to me this example it just popped in my head of uh it, the West Mo- it's actually when kelly-, kelly trio mm-hmm, with west, west montgomery yeah. and it's yeah. that uh, smoking at the half note sure. um the two no blues mm-hmm. uh and it, it, at one point when kelly's taking a solo and then all of a sudden uh, west comes in at the top of the chorus and plays like some uh like almost a dissonant little Mm -hmm. like rhythmic feature and and immediately like when kelly comes in Mm -hmm. and he starts you know just bouncing off of it yeah and i remember that was just a magical moment for me just be like how did they do that
1: yeah Yeah, it is it's it's telepathic but it's yeah it's sensitivity you know that's the thing but yeah that's one of you mentioned that tune because that tune hearing that was like the thing that kind of got me into like whoa jazz is another planet you know, like I realized because I've been into, you know, of course, Jimi Hendrix and going back from him to the blues guys and everything, and was trying to, like many guitar players, deal with that that world, you know, the sound of the blues, you know, the blues world. And uh, when I heard that record, that tune in particular, it said no blues. I'm like, okay, this, and it sounds, it sounds like a blues. I was, yeah, following the form, although I would, it was another dialects you know like yeah. I can tell it's a language but I don't know really what they're saying I don't know what they're doing I don't know what notes Wes is playing I don't know what notes Wooden Kelly is playing I have no idea what Paul Chambers is how does he make a walking bass line what is what's that all about what's the what's the science behind that and then the feeling you know of just like you know Cobb and just how the rhythm section that that buoyancy that lift you know yeah but I could hear it was a blues but I was like I don't know what all those notes are There's other notes that's not the pentatonic scale. So right. I'm like, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this. I got to figure out what they're saying like that. And that tune, particularly because it was something, you know, the blues was some kind of, I could relate to it on a, whatever, on a level. But again, I and mean, then I heard Charlie Parker too. It was like, what are those notes? What, what are, what are those notes? Where do they come from? Right. What is it? Are those that, is that just the major scale? I was just trying to, I'm going to figure out what's going on. And then you start to learn about, chromaticism and chords that lead to other chords and i'm still in it i'm still trying to figure that i'm still trying to figure that out like just like how that you know that architecture but that tune was really like a pivotal thing of like okay the blues is the the branch you leap off from you know i wouldn't say the blues is a branch but that's you know it's it's kind of that's, the springboard, yeah. It's that's where you know that connects. But but jazz is like there's some other colors there, other flavors that I've never tasted, never seen. There's other senses being, yeah. you know. So I was just like, I gotta try to figure this this out. Yeah, it's a and flavorful
0: uh, music. I mean, <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> that's just one way to put it. Yeah, I suppose. yeah. But but like you say, just the just the colors, just the flavors. It was also like you say about the interaction with those guys and the feeling of the music. It's like how it's how it's presented to you, not just the recipe from a book or something like that, but like the whole experience of being in that place. And like, here's someone gives you something to, to eat, you know, but right. it's not just, it's not just your taste buds involved. It's your whole, it's your whole thing, you know? So, yeah. Well, but every tune on that record is to me, like, a, it's like, you know, yeah, just, it's, 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 it's a holy grail. It, it is. It is. It really it's amazing. is like the, you know, and I still look, listen to it still hear new things in it and it's just like and then that and that to me is, is one of the i mean it's
0: you know i like other styles of music but the reason one of the biggest reasons why i love jazz more than anything is because there's always something new to be heard yeah. or discovered more details, you could play yeah. the same songs over and, yep. over and over and over again but there's always something new you're gonna find and that's what keeps me excited about it
1: That's very true very
0: true. Let me uh, switch gears just a little bit. Ask you, I guess it's a personal question. Okay, what, what are what's some of the most challenging aspects of being a professional jazz musician? You know what? You know, I think we all know what the good things are about mm-hmm. it. You know, if, for, for in your case, you, you know, maybe yeah. traveling the world. For a lot of people, that's a dream. But what, what, what are what are some of the things that are
1: challenging about it? Um, I I don't know that I can. I mean. It's challenging because it's something that we care about a lot. It's not just like this is my job. I'm going to go be a jazz musician. Then five o'clock comes and phew, good, I can leave that being a jazz musician at work and come home. And you know, we don't, we're not. Uh, you know, many people in many walks of life have that relationship with with what their so called job is. So uh-huh. you talk. Uh, I'm only saying because you phrased the question of professional jazz musicians, right? Yes. So, so yeah, obviously the same challenges exist that for any occupation it's like remain employed you know right that's you know the challenge is to stay professional so in, in professional means someone's paying you to do it so right the challenge is to get <laughs> people to pay you to do it or you know but that's i don't think that's you you know i don't think there are challenges to being a jazz musician, I think that's a privilege to be a, you know to be able to devote your life uh, you know, to this pursuit, to you know playing an instrument and trying to express yourself on it and speaking in this language and interacting with people and drawing from whatever certain common repertoires of tunes and living in that world and writing your own tunes. That's, there's no challenges about that. That's just a complete you're a fortunate person. You know, if you can do that. Wow. The challenges of being a professional anything are are those professional challenges of just how to navigate in the world. Of course, you know, professional if you're a if you're a bus driver, you're selling yourself, I'm I'm a bus driver, believe that I'm a bus driver, give me the job and I'll get everybody where they need to go on the bus. You know, that's cool. With with music or anything creative, you have to say, This is what I'm do you believe me as this, you know, this is, I'm selling something. It's a little different than people need to take the bus. They don't need to go listen to somebody play or right. go yeah. buy a painting or something. So you have to make them believe that, you know, you're enhancing their life in some small way. And they have to believe that, you know, so, you know, on some level you're, it's, it's a, it's a product for consumption, you know? So that's like, that's the sad reality of professional anything. There's, you're getting money in exchange for delivering something that's about as cynical as I can be about it but that's a reality so if you can take that as realizing that that's part of it and of course it's impossible you're selling yourself so it's not just something that you're indifferent to it's you know if you're accepted you feel accepted if you're rejected you feel rejected so it's you so that's the thing that it gives you something but it, it you know it's difficult because you're invested in it but What's the alternative? Not to be invested, not to care if you're good or getting better, or if people seem to appreciate what you do. You know, if you don't care about it, then you just you just drive the bus where you have to go and open the door. And but if even in, in that job, you could say, open the door and be like, I'm really happy that I'm getting people where they need to go and be friendly. And you could right. be the best driver, best right. bus driver. That you
0: know, it's, it's all about. The one, the one that the one that the kids talk about years down the road. You yeah, know? <laughs>
1: of course, <laughs> make you, an impact. You're also a professional, so you have to it's not just about being friendly to people. You have to remain employed and have the a job bus time. to drive. So, the, the the more I try to you know understand that on that level, then it's just it's, there's challenge. You can't say, "Well, I'm a jazz musician. Someone should take care of me and give me things because you know why? Where does we know it's it's an indifferent world you know the universe is a cold place so the fact that you can even you know pursue this is you have to think of that as i remember jim hall used to say like playing music is its own reward you know you don't do it for a reward Mm -hmm. playing music is the reward wow and it was just like a kind of thing he would toss off and then you know just like you had to really think about it because we're all just kind of at that age you know students were just trying to learn how to play and am i good am i hip enough am i what let's see i don't know who's hip who's not hip and then he would start, you know, say something like that. It kind of puts it in perspective. It's like, yeah, okay, wow. You know, that's you know, I love that. It's its own reward. Music However, is its own reward. Playing music is it is a you know it's a chance to do it. It's like a privileged thing. However, you know, if you have to pay rent, you can't you know just pay it with a song. You know, right? I mean, maybe, well, some people can. <laughs> maybe your landlord would accept that and. That's oh the, I see yeah no they can't you know you can't just, can I stay here if I sing to you you know or something like right that. It doesn't really work like that so you have to make money it's something
0: What advice would you give? this up and coming generation of jazz musicians well if you were to give any
1: i I don't know that uh, hmm I don't know that I mean I what cause rec- i mean recently I've been seeing some younger players and really in different kind of styles different senses of aesthetics different senses of uh you know what it means to be playing jazz right now some people are like really going back in the history and playing uh-huh. very you know, very straight ahead trying to invest in that language like we were kind of at that age, you know, and still and still are, you know, and other people are kind of like, well, I don't really, you know, I'm not really into, into learning tunes and certain aesthetics of the music are rejected by people, you know, just like they were, you know, like how Dixieland Cats probably felt like. The swing guys were throwing out a lot of the things that made that, you know, so it's just kind of like this is just the way it goes. I don't know this. I think this generation, like every generation has a a lot of talented people. Some of them are like, you know, really directed and really focused. Others, you know, I think every generation is the same. I think with this, uh, this, the difference now is that there's so much information available to people so that Mm -hmm. there's, you know, it's kind of easier or not easier but there's more precociousness in a way because of the access to information but like i say jazz is a social music so it's not like you can just ingest information and then you know that's only part of it you know but i also see a lot of younger players you know really going to that up you know other place and really playing with each other writing their own music they're coming from a different place of like Kind of like they're having a like a rock band or something like this is our stuff we play this stuff and like a and, band band yeah and other guys are are kind of uh, you know just want to play the standard standards from from the days of old and I just look at it like wow here come you know another b- bunch of guys that like you know now I'm the guy that sits around and like looks and says, like, wow these some young dudes just like we used to feel like there's some old you know yeah starting to be crusty guys kind of saying yeah you're the young guy it's not you know like it's just like (laughs) here it is all of a sudden it's like you know the tables have turned so i don't know that they need any advice from me i think that they just like you know the guys that are serious are going to be serious and all you can just know only advice you can be to a younger generation musician is to try to exemplify what the people you respected exemplify to you you know, right. So that's, that's, you know, I, I definitely feel lucky that I had so many great teachers. I didn't just learn from, you know, like uh, books and watching YouTube and stuff like that. Like, I was able to see a lot of great musicians and have a lot of great teachers and tell me important things. So I feel like, you know, I'm very lucky that I heard firsthand a lot of different opinions, a lot of different things, people questioning different, you know, Kind of like, I'm, I remember when I was a student at Rutgers, uh, Kenny Barron was like, we we're playing some tune out of the real book and the changes were all wrong. And Kenny Barron was like, what? This is totally wrong, you know? So it was important at age 18 to see like, wow, the real book's not right, not all the, the Bible. Time. It's not totally, it's just a book that some guys wrote. I'm going to check out Kenny Barron and say, yeah, I should go back to the record and see what's on, you know? So I was lucky to just have that, you know, interaction with people. And, and so I try to, like I, like I say, I just, you know, I teach a lot and I try to just tell students what, what I was told that really still resonates with me 20, 25 years later, like as, as the stuff that 30 years later, that was like the stuff that they should have been telling me, like they were right about that, you know, you know, so that's, you know, that's all, I think it's just about, I don't think any young generation wants to hear advice from, you know, they just, they want to, look and see who they want to be like, you know, and, and you have to try to, exemplify, model. yeah, you have to exemplify what's important to you. And if somebody comes along and finds, you know, but like I say, like what we were exposed to was just many great individuals, strong personalities. So that's, that's what it's about. You have to try to, that's everyone's, you know, process is to get to themselves, you know, and that's, you know, that's a life, that's a lifelong journey, you know, so. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, man. So tell me quickly, as mm-hmm. we close out, tell okay. me all about your new your new
1: album. Um, it's uh, came on came out on the Smoke Sessions. Yeah, uh, you know I go way back with with Smoke and before it was Smoke, it was Augie. So that's uh-huh. kind of a place where we kind of really came together and learned how to play and going back with like Jesse Davis and Larry Goldings and Bill Stewart and Joe Farnsworth and Eric Alexander, and then those guys really brought in the elders Cecil Payne and Harold Maber and people like that. So that's kind of a hallowed ground for me, that place. And and uh and now Paul is uh doing this Paul Stash is doing this label and he's recording a lot of great people, so he gave me a chance to do the record and uh yeah, I was able to get Bill Stewart and Doug Weiss and Gerald Clayton. Uh-huh. And uh we did mostly my tunes, I think five of my tunes and just try to mix it up a little bit and uh you know, I'm I'm glad it's out there. It's you know, if you write tunes and they sit around too long, they you know they start to they, fester. Yeah, a bit. you know. So I'm just glad to get, <laughs> well, them, get them out it, it's, there. It's it's a fantastic
0: album. It? I've oh, listened thanks, to man. it. Uh, if uh, you, you know, if you're listening, uh, you want to get this album, you really should. All the music in the show today is from Peter's new album. Uh, where can we find that CD, baby, Peter? I would think so. yes. Okay.
1: I know uh, you can. You can order it from Amazon, I'm sure. That. Amazon,
0: and, iTunes, yeah. CD Baby, look up yeah. Peter Bernstein, yeah. Let Loose. Smoke Sessions. Yeah. All right, well, Peter, thanks so much for uh, oh. taking the time today. We enjoyed having you. Uh, you it was an honor to get to talk to you, and just thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, Brent. Appreciate it. Well, hope you enjoyed that blast from the past. Uh, what a great episode. I again, like for me, it's special because, you know, Peter, one of my musical heroes. So to have had that opportunity to interview him for my podcast, great to have that just locked in for, uh, for all of time, right? It's just a, a really cool thing to, uh, to have. So hope you enjoyed that. Um, hey, listen, lgsinnercircle.com. That's where you can become a member of the LGS Inner Circle. We have such a great time there. And you know, as we're coming up to episode 300, um I think about all of the amazing things and the amazing episodes that we've created here on the podcast, 300 different pieces of jazz advice, tips, and things that you can take action on. But truly, when I say it, like the best way that you can grow with us and to get involved, to have actual structure and pathways Uh, step-by-step processes and an amazing community to help you grow as a jazz musician is through our LJS Inner Circle membership. That's how we crafted it. That's how we created it to just help you the best that we possibly can. So check it out at ljsinnercircle.com. We'd love to have you as a member. All right, we're going to be having our uh, quick win podcast episode coming up this Friday before our episode 300. So I'll see you back for both of those. Cheers.